0: Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. I have a, uh, a love-hate relationship with New Year's. Uh, I love the opportunity to, to really get a clean slate to look ahead and say, this is where I want to improve and this is what I want to do different, to, to evaluate my life and, and set some goals and set some parameters, to tell me be a better person in certain areas of my life. But I hate looking back at the previous year and see where I failed in the goals I set then. Seeing where I came up short, seeing where I, I may have overextended myself or set some type of goal and just not even come close to meeting it. And, and a lot of us, we're doing the same thing. We're, we're looking at our life and seeing areas that we can improve in. Uh, 80% of people make New Year's resolutions. You want to know how many keep them throughout the year? 6%. So 80% make it, 60% keep it. Uh, but so 80% of people have looked at their life and said, this is an area of my life that I want to do better. This is an area of my life that I want to improve on. Maybe it's an area of your, and most of us, we make uh, resolutions in the area of our health. You know, most people will make a resolution this year re- involving their health in some way or another. They're going to they're gonna eat better. They're going to lose weight. They're going to quit smoking or whatever. And so they, they have all these resolutions that revolve around their health. Maybe you're going to make a resolution about your finances. Maybe you're going to decide, I'm going to save money this year. This is the year I'm finally going to save money. I'm going to budget my money. I'm going to stick to a budget. Maybe this is the year I'm going to get out of debt or I'm going to start saving for retirement. But a lot of people make make of resolutions regarding their finances. Maybe you make a resolution about a relationship. That broken relationship, I'm, I'm finally going gonna, gonna to get that relationship right. Or maybe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find love. I've waited so long and I've, I've had my heart broken. This is the year I'm going to find love or I'm going to restore that broken relationship that I've had in my life. Or maybe it's a hobby. I'm going to read more books. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn a new trait, a new trick. I'm going to learn a new hobby. I'm going to learn a new skill. I'm going to improve myself in some area. And these are all... Great areas to look at your life and to improve on. But most of us, even believers, when we're making resolutions, we neglect our relationship with God when looking how to improve. We don't look at our relationship with God and say, you know what, I'm going to do better here. Or I'm going to try better there. And we, we don't look and see what, how, how we can improve on our relationship with God or do what God wants us to be. And it isn't just in our personal life that this can happen. It can also happen in the life of the church. And I've, I've recently been thinking about where I, I believe God wants to take this church. But more than that, I've been looking back at the previous year and where we came from and what God has done. You know, 2017 was a great year. We began New Grace Baptist Church in August, and we had a grand opening in October. We, we began our Awana program. We got a new soundboard. We saw people saved. 2017 was a great year. 2018 was a good year. We, we opened our community cupboard. We, we expanded our children's church program. We grew in attendance, had new members joining, continued to see people get saved. But as us look back at 2019, I have to say that I'm... I'm not really pleased with what we've accomplished. And it's not that we haven't accomplished anything. It's not that we've, we've been lazy or not done anything. We've still held community cupboard. We've still had our community cupboard running. We started the Samaritan Closet. We, we've had our fall festivals, and we've had outreach programs. We've, we've seen people saved. We've, we've grown in attendance. We've had members come. And so I think we've, we've done some good things, but I think we've grown comfortable. I think as a church... We've grown comfortable with with where we are. With what we do. We're, We're comfortable coming to church every Sunday and worshiping with the same people. We're comfortable sitting in the same pews and singing the same songs as we put in our time for God. More than that, we've grown comfortable in our walk with God. Comfortable with our Bible reading. Comfortable with our our prayer life. And I'm, I'm not just, I'm not saying this because I see this in your life only, although I do see it in some of your lives. But I see it in my life. I've grown comfortable. It's become easy. I'm happy with what we've done and what we've achieved. I'm, I'm comfortable pastoring a church of, with this size of influence and the amount of work that's required to get it done. I'm comfortable with it. And for that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I've grown comfortable. So as I thought back at the last year and look forward to next year, I really prayed about what I believed God wanted this church to accomplish. What I wanted to do. And I started thinking about goals we could achieve. But then I listened to a podcast by Craig Rochelle on leadership. And he said, the reason most people fail when setting goals for themselves or their, their corporation, he, he's a pastor, but he talks to business leaders as well. So he goes, the reason most people fail is because when they set goals for the upcoming year, they set do goals. I want to lose 20 pounds. I want to learn to play the guitar. I want to read a book a month. As a church, I want to reach, I want to knock this many doors. I want to start this many new programs. I want to do these things. And he said, instead of starting do goals, he said be goals. Not what do you want to do next year. What do you want to be next year? Instead of saying, I want to lose 20 pounds, say, I want to be a healthier person. Instead of saying, I want to, I want to read a book a month, say, I want, I want to spend more time. I want to be a person who, who reads more and is involved more and learns more. I want, I want to be that type of person. So instead of saying, this is what I want the church to do, I had to ask myself, what do I want the church to be? And so I did that in my personal life. Here's what I want to be next year. And then I put some principles in place to help me be that person that I believe God wants me to be. But I did the same thing for the church. I, I had to think about what, our, what God wants our church to be. And so I asked myself, what's the purpose of the church? Not just our church, but The church. What's the purpose of the church? You know, the purpose of a doctor is to fix bodies. The purpose of a mechanic is to, to fix cars. The purpose of a church is to fix people. Because the world is full of broken people, to fix their spirits, to fix their souls and get them in a relationship with God. To take their, their brokenness that they come to God with and, and help them repair that. Not just outside the church, but inside the church. Look, if you look around, our church is full of broken people. I know we, I know we put on a good face. We look like we got it all together. But look, I know some of your stories. And you're a mess. And that's fine. Because I'm a mess. We're all just broken people trying to follow the same Savior to help us get fixed. So the purpose of the church is to fix people, fix their souls and their lives through the gospel of Christ. And as a church, we decided a couple years ago that we were going to do this through loving God, loving others, and serving others. That's that's always been a desire. I don't think we've lost that desire to love God, love others, and serve others. I just think we've lost the focus of really getting it done. We've lost our focus on God. Our comfort has caused us to stop looking for God. Our comfort has caused us to stop seeing God and seeing His will and His purpose for our lives and for our church. And that's not just a problem that we face today. We see people in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. They had trouble focusing on God. We see it in 2 Kings chapter 6. So look in your Bibles in 2 Kings chapter 6, <coughs> starting in verse number 8. All right, Parker, I'm not going to do it. So you read and you change when it's supposed to be changed. All right, and when I need you to do something, I'm going to point to you. All right, so pay attention. All right, pay attention? All right, all right. Second Kings chapter 6, starting in verse number 8. Bible says, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. Now, I don't know why we don't know the place. I don't know why it's a secret to us that such and such a place would existed, because it's not a secret to God. It's not a secret to Elijah. We're going to see that in a minute. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God had told him and warned him of, and saved himself there not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for, his, for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which, one, which of us is, the king, is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel... Telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. So Elisha worked for the NSA. He, was, he had an echo dot in his, in his room, and uh, he was listening to everything he said. And so he knew everything in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord, opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire, Roundabout Elisha. So, in this story in Second in Kings, uh, Eli- the king of Syria is invading Israel. He's he's fighting against Israel, and he he plans to go to such and such a place and set up camp. and And so, Elisha is told by God that's going to happen. So he sends word to the king of Israel and says, "Hey, uh, the king of Syria is going to go through here." So. You might want to avoid that area. Just, just stay away from there because that's going to cause you to get beaten and have a, a bad battle. So stay away from there. So the king of Syria gets there and he was expecting the king of Israel to come and he's not there. And so he assumes that he has a spy in his midst. He says, which one of you has betrayed us? Which one of you is for Israel? And you're, you're giving them secrets. And they say, oh, it's none of us. It's this guy Elisha. You know, he, he knows what you think and what you say because God tells him. And so God tells him what you're going to do, and so he tells the king of Israel. So the king of Syria says, "We'll go find this guy. Now, I don't know if he wanted to take him to kill him and stop him from doing it or use him for his own gain, but he says, let's, let's go get this guy, Elisha, and see what's going on. So he sends his, his servants there, his army there, and they, they surround the city of Dothan, and then Elisha's servant in the morning, he gets up, he's running to Starbucks, and he sees the, the army, and he freaks out. He says, Elisha, we're done. They've got us surrounded. We're going to die. There's no way for us to, to get away from this. And Elisha looks at him and says, just, just calm down. It's no big deal. Now, how come Elisha wasn't scared, but the servant was? Because Elisha saw God. Elisha was focused on God, not just in that time, But in his daily life, he knew God was there because he focused on God. God was there the entire time. Because look at his prayer. He doesn't pray, oh, God, show up and save us. He says, God, show him that you're here. Open his eyes so he can see that you're already here, and you're already taking care of this, and you're already in control. I believe that that may be our problem. We are comfortable. We are comfortable because we know God is here. We know God is working and God wanting to do more, but we aren't seeing him because we aren't focused on him. We're focused on ourselves. We're focused on our problems. We're focused on our comfort. So God showed me five areas that I believe individually and corporately need to focus on this year, And here they are, number one, focus on our worship. When we gather together to worship, we are doing more than just coming together to sing a few songs, hear a message, and go home. We are doing more than just punching our spiritual time clock. We are celebrating the presence of God. But to do that, we need to focus On the presence of God. Not just go through the motions, but focus on God. John 4.23 says this. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship here. Look, I, I believe, I love our praise team. And I believe most of you do as well. I hope you all do. But I love the praise team, and I I know that a lot of us do. But their purpose here isn't to sing a good song. Their purpose isn't to, to sing a song and all of us go, oh, you did a great job. That was a beautiful song. Their purpose is to sing songs that bring us and help us see the presence of God. They are to sing songs that show us God's presence and God's moving in our lives and our congregation. But for them to do that, we have to focus on God. It's not all on them. It's on us as we sing with them. So don't just sing the songs because you like the song or go through the motion. Look, I sit up here and I watch a lot of y'all. Some of you, you're getting it. You're singing to God. You got a smile on your face. You're looking to heaven. The kids, especially. I wish all of us would sing like these kids. They sing off key. They sing terribly, but they're singing to God. Some of you just you're singing to God. You're you're just maybe you're raising your hands. Maybe you're not, but you're 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 involved. Some of you aren't. Some of you are. Amazing grace. Really, is it amazing? Because your face doesn't see it. You're you're going through the motions. Well, I don't like that song. Well, the song's not about you. The song's about God. And we're singing to Him. And we're glorifying Him. And we're praising Him. So get involved in the worship service. Sing the songs. Listen to the message of the songs. That's the thing. Well, I don't like that tune. Listen to the message. The message of every song we sing is about God. So don't just go through the motions. As you sing the songs we sing, focus on God and say, God, speak to my heart as I sing praises to you. Hey, you know, you know what a great way to focus on God while you're worshiping? Don't just sing it there. Sing up here. We could use some more people in the choir. We could use some more people in the praise team. We could use some more special singers or people who can play instruments. Just people who will give themselves to God. Well, I can't sing. Bible says make a joyful noise. Doesn't say sing on key. If you are singing off key as bad, if you sing like Barney Fife, but your heart is focused on God, God loves that. God cherishes that. And that helps other true worshipers see the presence of God. So don't just sit in the... Be a part of Of the worship. Sing the songs. Join a team that encourages people and praises people. Be a part. And look, don't do it for the people to see you or praise you. If you get up here and sing a special because you want people to say, oh, you did a great job, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Don't do it for you. Do it so people can see God and praise Him. Look, same thing with the preaching services. I always want to deliver a good message. I study, I want you to enjoy the message, I want you to experience the presence of God through the preaching, I want you to see God working in and through your life, but that responsibility doesn't totally fall on me. I'm going to study, I'm going to pray, I'm going to prepare, but you need to do the same thing. You need to come to church prepared to hear from God. Because if I'm doing all I'm supposed to do, and I'm reading, and I'm praying, and I'm prepared, and I'm I'm ready to deliver what God's given me, but you don't get anything from God, that's not my fault. You didn't come wanting to receive. So come prepared to hear from God. You need to pray before you come to church, asking God to speak to you. If you ask God to speak to you before you come to church, I guarantee you God's going to speak to you. Now, he may not tell you what you want to hear, But he's going to speak to you and listen to the messages with an open heart, expecting God to speak to you. Don't focus on the quality of the message or the delivering of the message. Focus on God and come prepared to hear from God. Another part of focusing on the worship service, and this one you're not going to like, but we're going to spend a lot of time here. Another part of focusing on the worship service is focusing on your tithes and offerings. Make this year the year you finally become a giver. Not just a receiver, but a giver to God. You finally become faithful in your tithes and offerings. I'm not going to lie. The church needs your tithes and offerings to operate, to keep the power on, to do the thing. We need your tithes and offerings. I'm not going to sit up here and say, we don't need it. We do need it. But you need to give it more than the church needs to get it. Giving your tithes to God is not a suggestion in the Bible. It's a command. It's a command that predates the law. It's a command that's in the law and it's a command that's in the New Testament. Look at Malachi 3.10. It says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house. That is a command of God, but it's got a promise attached to it that Parker ruined because he went too far. And the promise is. And prove me now, herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, and rebuke the devourer for your sakes, uh, and he shall not dest- and shall not destroy the fruits of the ground; neither shall your vine cast off her fruit before the time in the field. That is a pretty clear command and promise for God. God says, if you obey me in the area of your tithes and offerings, I will take care of you. I will provide for you, I will bless you. Because look, I know most of us live paycheck to paycheck, and when you look at your paycheck and say, I'm supposed to give 10% to God, I can't even live off the 100% I have. It's a faith issue, but it's a command that God says, you obey me and I will bless you. You know why some of you are struggling financially? Because you aren't focused on God in your giving. You're focused on you. You're focused on your checkbook. You're focused on what you're trying to save up to do, and so you don't obey God, and you wonder how come I can never catch up. Because God says, if you obey me, I'll bless you. But the opposite's true. If you disobey, there's a curse with that. Focus on your worship. So let 2020 be the year that you prove God faithful as you become faithful in trusting Him with your finances. Second area we need to focus on, focus on evangelism. Evangelism is where we communicate the message of God to those who haven't heard it, to those who are lost. Romans ten fourteen says this, says, How then shall they call upon Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now, the problem with evangelism is it makes non-believers and believers very uncomfortable. Nobody likes to do it. Believers don't like doing it. Non-believers don't like people showing up at their door and, and saying, hey, can I talk to you a little bit about Jesus? I mean, I don't like it when the JWs do it. Actually, I do because I like to you know, make fun of them. And as soon as I tell them, hey, I was a Jehovah's Witness. Now I'm a Baptist preacher. It's funny to see him run. And uh, you know, say, well, get out of here then. So you know, I don't like it when they show up, though, and they, they bug me in the ears. So it makes non-believers uncomfortable. It makes believers uncomfortable. The reason it makes us uncomfortable is because we're focused on our embarrassment instead of focused on God using us to reach the lost. And if we were focused on him instead of ourselves, we couldn't help but share the message. And I know, I know I'm guilty of this. You know, we tried a lot last year to start a, a successful and a vibrant church visitation program where we'd meet together and go out in the neighborhoods and, and pass out tracks and knock on doors and, and share the gospel in our neighborhoods. We tried to do that along but it fizzled out every time. Why? Because I got discouraged. And I got discouraged because in my opinion, not enough of you showed up. And something, well if it's just me and John and you know April and if it's just us, what's the point? So I'd get discouraged and I'd I'd stop going. Now that's wrong on my part. Are you supposed to be here? Yeah. But if you don't show up and it's just me, I still have the command to go preach the gospel. To go get the word out. And so I think a lot of us should show up, but if we don't, I should still go. And And I get that a lot of us are busy and we can't make the times that we have to go out. But that doesn't get you off the hook. If you can't make it to church-wide visitation, you still have a responsibility to share the gospel. You still have a responsibility to invite people to church. And I'm not asking you, because I know a lot of us are nervous about door-to-door soul winning. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not a big advocate of, of if I ask you if you die today, do you know for sure to be with the Lord in heaven? Because I, I think the, the community now doesn't appreciate it. Sometimes you can get that person who's looking. But most people, if you're going to win them to the Lord, you're going to do it by starting a relationship with them. But the thing about a lot of you, you already have relationships with people in your life who aren't saved. You've already started the relationship to reach them. Now you just got to do it. you got to step up and say, I'm going to invite them to church. I'm going to share the gospel with them. I'm going to share my testimony with them. But so how can we focus on God in evangelism? Well, first of all, be more aware of people in your life that you can reach with the gospel. Because if they are in your life, they are in your life because God put them there for you to reach. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's that cashier that you, you have a good rapport with. There's a guy uh, down at the uh, the shell station down from my house. I go there to get Cokes and, and candy bars and gas all the time. I talk to him all the time. He knows my name. When I walk in, he's like, hey, John, how are you doing? And so, you know, God, why is he in my life? So I can get candy bars? Well, yeah but also so I can invite them to church, so I can share the gospel. with them. And I failed in that area, and I used to step up on that, but so do the rest of us. So be more aware of people God has put in your life that you can try to reach. Be more intentional about inviting the church. Be more intentional about sharing your faith and your relationship with God. And I want to help you do that. So starting next week, here's what we're going to do. Every month, I want every person here to take five gospel tracts and five door hangers and pass them out of the month. Pass The door hangers, they're just invitations to church. Go hang them on doors in your neighborhood. Oh, well, preacher, no one will come from my neighborhood. that's too far away. You come. If you're dumb enough to come this far, they're dumb enough to follow you. So, hey, where's a great place to visit for people? In your neighborhood, because that's where you live. So take these door hangers and hang them on doors and invite your neighbors. to church. Take these tracks and pass them out to people. They, they are invitations to church, but do you know what? They also have the gospel. Give it to, to waitresses. Give it to cashiers. Give it to, to people you, you know you meet at work or people in the street. Just pass that. We can all do five door hangers and five tracks a month. I'm not asking you to go out and preach a gospel sermon on the street corner like I did in Bible college. I'm not asking you to go bar preaching like I had to do. I'm asking you to take five door hangers, put them in your neighborhood, five tracks handed to people that you see throughout your life. And be more intentional about witnessing to people. Tracks to pass out and friends, be more focused on evangelism. Here's the third thing to focus on focus on fellowship. Acts chapter 2. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had things, all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men. And every man had need, and they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Fellowship. Is where we come together as a church family. We worship God and we encourage each other. The church will only be as strong as its members and its members will only be strong if they are faithful to the church. We were not meant to go through life alone. We were meant to grow together, to help each other, to strengthen each other. That's what the beginning when God created everything and he looked around and said, oh, the light's good, the land's good, the animal's good, the fish are good. It's all good. Oh, there's Adam. He's alone. That's not good. It wasn't good that man was alone. So he gave him a partner. Someone to go through life with. Someone to to worship God with. Someone to, to partner with and grow with. This year... Some of you need to focus on fellowship with God's people. You need to focus on being faithful to the church services. And I know a lot of you are like, well, we're here. Talk to the people who aren't here. I am. We're Facebook Live. If they're watching, I'm talking to you. Look, Facebook Live is a great thing, but you need fellowship with God's people. Too many people don't make Coming to church faithfully, a priority. Vacations are a priority. And look, you need to take vacations. There's gonna be some Sundays this year. I'm not gonna be here because we're gonna be on vacation. You need to take vacations, but some of you take a lot of vacations on Sundays. Some of you are so sick every Sunday, you need to go to the doctor. Because every Sunday you're sick. And I don't know how somebody could be that sick. But every Monday, man, you're bright and early to, t- to work. Every Sunday, you wake up and it's raining. I don't, I, I don't want to go to church. you just don't. You know how many times I wake up on Sunday morning and think, I don't want to go to church? Most of them. This morning. Because I got here to church this morning, and I started getting the list of people who weren't going to be here for one reason or another. And I thought, well, if they ain't going to be here, what am I going to be here? Because it's my job. No. Because I want to be faithful to God's house. If I wasn't the preacher, I'd still be faithful to the house of the Lord. Because that's what God expects of us. And that's what I need. We need each other. You know, in the, in the north, northwest, uh, there's the redwood forest. You all know about the, the big redwood trees? It's huge, massive, sometimes thousand-foot trees. are just gigantic. Do you know they have one of the shallowest root systems of any tree? You know why they don't fall down? Because every tree links roots with the tree next to it. And they draw strength from each other. If they were out in the middle of the field by themselves, fall over. Never get that high. But they draw their strength from each other. You're going to draw your strength from the other church members. You cannot fight the enemy on your own, and you were never intended to. Too many of us have focused on our life, our leisure, our problems, and we've allowed those things to take our focus off of our fellowship. Here's a fourth area to focus on. Focus on ministry. Mark chapter 12, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. This is the, the verse we get our church motto from. Love God, love others, some serve others. And too many of us are lacking in the serving others area. We love God by coming to church. We love others by coming to the, the small groups. Some of you need to step that up this year. Be faithful to Sunday school and small groups and events that we do. We don't do them just for the heck of it. We do it for fellowships. And be faithful to those. But we, we don't participate. When we don't serve others. We don't get involved in the ministries around here to build the kingdom of God. And there are a lot of opportunities to serve. Don't come here and think, well, there's nowhere for me to do. Oh, well, yeah, there is. We need, we need help with our children's church department. You know who does children's church every single Sunday? The Eccleston family. Every single Sunday, that I don't make the kids sit here and listen to me, they do children's church. How come no one can help them? How come no one can get on a rotation with them? How come we're always struggling to find nursery workers? How come we've been asking for Sunday school teachers for a year now? We need greeters. We need ushers. We need people to, to get involved. Look, the Samaritan Closet, I am so thankful for the Samaritan Closet, but why does Sarah got to do it all by herself? Why can't people come and say, hey, what can I do to help? How can we help set this thing up or get this thing going? Same thing with the community covered. You know, Harper's here every Tuesday feeding this, this Christmas 41 families. For, that's great. Why can't we help her? Why can't we get more involved? There's plenty to do here. So this year, every one of us need to ask God where he wants us to focus on serving. Whether it's passing out fires, whether it's greeting visitors as they come in at the visitor desk, which we set up, and don't don't me start on that. But you know, whether it, whatever it's doing, where can God use me? And then come to me and say, where can God use me? Because i got some ideas. I, I know where God can use you. Well, I don't think that's what God wants me to do you got to trust your preacher. God wants you to get the poop out of the, side, out of the driveway there. Okay, but so, ask what God what can I do to serve God better for his kingdom and his church? Here's the final thing we need to focus on. Focus on discipleship. Matthew 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Most of us, we know this as the Great Commission. We use it when we talk about missions, and, and that's a great verse. for. I'm not saying it doesn't apply to missions. It's a great verse for missions, but there's more to this verse than just a go part. It says, go ye therefore and teach, and then teach them to observe all things that I've taught you. There's more to it than just going. There's the teaching part, and that's the most important part. Once we reach the lost, we have to teach them how to know God, how to walk with God, and how to share God. That's how we fulfill the command. Every believer here I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. If you are saved by the grace of God, there is someone that you can disciple. And look, you don't need to be a teacher or a staff member because I know that's what a lot of us think. Well, I'm I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I'm not a staff member. I don't know the Bible, so I can't disciple someone. doesn't matter. It is still your job. And I know that's frightening to a lot of us. We don't know what to do or what to say, or what to teach. Let me show you what being a discipler is according to Paul. Look at 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's it. How do I disciple someone? You say, follow me as I follow Jesus. Walk with me as I walk with God. Follow is the Greek word, Me matas, and it means imitator. Discipleship isn't teaching a class, it is living with God. All of us have someone that we can show how to live for God. Look, if you're a parent, you have kids that God gave you for you to show them how to live for God. Your grandparent. Your kids are grown, grown. You've got grandbabies that you can show how to live for God. Maybe you're not married. Maybe you've got no kids. You still have people in your life you can show how to walk with God. You've got friends. You've got co-workers that God has put in your life for you to witness to and win to the Lord and then show them how to live for God. But you do that... By living life together. The people, that are, the people in your life are there for you to introduce to Christ and show how to live for God. And you do that by doing life together. But here's the trick, and here's where most of us, why most of us fail. To be a good discipler, you have to walk with God yourself. And most of us don't. We, we read the Bible occasionally. We come to church, but we don't really live our life for God. Maybe that's why we fail. So this year, as we focus on discipleship, start by focusing on your walk with God. How do I do that, preacher? Hey, join us for the year Bible reading schedule. It's a chapter a day. A chapter a day for you to read the Bible and start to learn how to walk with God and fellowship with God. And then when you start doing it, find somebody else who maybe they're they're not as far along in their walk with God as you and they're not reading their Bible. Say, hey, why don't you join me on this Bible reading program and read the Bible with them? Get your kids and pray together and do devotions together. And when you have trouble, and when, when something comes up, here's one way, parents, you can, you can really disciple your kids like this. When troubles come up, don't hide it from your kids, but use it as a chance to show them God. Say, hey, we got this issue. We, Mom and dad don't know what to do, so we're going to pray about it. And we're going to get together as a family, we're going to pray for God to show us what to do. And then when God answers a prayer, don't hide it from them. Share, hey, God answered your prayer. Isn't this amazing? God works. And you teach them how to talk to God and listen to God and walk with God. The new year is a great opportunity to focus on things that matter. This year, let's focus on things that make a difference in eternity. Not just in our personal life, but in our church life. Let's decide to be a church church that focuses on what matters most.